Welcome to Holding Center, a podcast created to help you own and hold center stage, not only on show day, but also in your life. I'm your host, Ashley Markham, owner of Myo Strength, and joined with me is my co-host, Ashley Spoker, owner of B&B Fit. Let's hold center. Yo, Spokes, what's up? I feel like I just saw you. No, my gosh. I know. I think our lives are just starting to intertwine so much, even though we live far away. Um, but you know what? Let's actually start with you this week because I want to introduce our guest because I'm super pumped about it. And yeah. I feel like when I talk first, then you talk, then you get to introduce. So you talk first, then I get to talk. Then oh, sure. I'll I love it. No, I love it. Um, I took the biggest shit of my life this morning and woke um, up with a new low of 123.4. So that was that was like the highlight of my day. Like everything else was just smooth sailing. So big old poop. I'm happy. Um, clients are killing it this week. Love that. They're sending me videos and I love analyzing training videos because you can really tell because I have them when they send me training videos, I have them tell me one, the exercise to make sure I give the right critique and cue. But I have them tell me what RIR I programmed and how they felt they did with RIR. And mm. let me tell you, first initial videos, I'm like, hey, these shit ain't lining up, fam. You gotta, you gotta right. put some more oomph, a little, a little more, a little more, a little more effort into that bullshit. But no, everyone is doing well. Like I said, I had a, a interview with a uh, client of mine actually for her nutrition class, and so that was really fun to be able to kind of talk about my coaching and um, kind of my experience with the industry and stuff like that. And it was just a really awesome, awesome interview. So I'll be actually posting little snippets um, and putting that on Instagram. But it's also going to be published in the nutrition par- uh, department's like publication um, on cool. online. Yeah. That's way cool. Way cool. Um, so the only exciting thing that happened to me is I'm a person who hates clutter. So I go through these really weird phases where I just like rapid clean, probably because my dad was like a hoarder growing up. So it only makes sense that I'm like, I have too many things. Like I came back from Hawaii vacation and I brought like five shells and I was like, I got to throw out my blender. I can't have a blender anymore. (laughs) Like that's just how my mind works. And today I was like looking at my counter and I have like two different containers of EAAs. And I was like, I can't, I can't do two containers. So I just put them in one and I was like, cool. Can't wait to go work out. Um, it's grape flavored and like the tropical flavor from Morphogen and I'm going to have orange juice in it. So can't wait to experience that while I'm training. And then like, as soon as I did it, I was like, this is probably going to taste like ass, but whatever. I don't, I don't care. I needed it gone, but <laughs> enough about us. We have a very awesome guest, um, like one of the dopest guests, I think, in my opinion, huge <laughs> fan, huge fan. Um, kind of like when, you know, Ash was, was fangirling over our previous guest, Dr. Carrie Jones. I am fangirling over our current guest right now, which is <laughs> the legend, Austin Stout. So <laughs> welcome, welcome to the Holding Center podcast. Um, so happy to have you on here. Let's Let's just <laughs> dive in and have you tell us about you and all of you and what you do. Okay. Um, do you want the, which version do you want? Do you want the, how I, how I got here version or the, where I'm at now version? The why I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So I've, for those of you that don't know me really well, I'll, I'll date myself a little bit. So I started coaching and my first official person that paid me to do something was in uh, 2009, I believe, around that time. Wow. So um, 2023, so this will be, you know, 13, 14 years, somewhere in that range. And um, I started in the gym setting, you know, 
online or like the personal training setting, online coaching was very scarce field at the time. I mean, I, there were people doing it, but there were very few people doing it. Um, and I saw the need for the nutrition piece. And then I found that, okay, well, I'm starting to service these people, but now there's actually people that are getting referred to me that are not local. So what do I do? I'm like, all right, well, I know there's other people doing this, right? How are they doing it? Right. I didn't really know there was no system. People weren't really, you know, now there's, you can pretty much figure out how to construct your business pretty quickly. You can just kind of pay attention or you work with a coach and you just see what they do. Right. I had no benchmark. So I just started, you know, I just started with you know, getting photos from the people, forming a check-in sheet, like doing all of these things. And then uh, that's where things start. I wouldn't say they took off because that's not the case at all. I, I was scraping by for a really long time and um, I was going to school at the time for nutrition. And, you know, I, I eventually hit a point where I'm like, all right, well, this is my only source of income. I think I can do this. I don't have anything to lose because I didn't have any, you know, didn't have a house. I rented an apartment. I was broke. So what the hell? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's essentially, that's essentially where it got to start. I was all in, you know, I was all in from the beginning on it and it just kind of evolved over the years. And, and fortunately I've been able to be um, on the forefront of a lot of changes in the industry. So like when functional health started to become a thing, I, I was already kind of there doing it. Right. I wasn't doing it like I am now because I didn't quite, I knew that there were concepts. I knew these concepts, like I knew these things we needed to focus on and I was talking about it. And I always found it funny because I kind of got brushed off a lot and then eventually now everyone's doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with, you know, doing like Dutch testing and GI maps and like all these things that I do so often and help people, you know, learn. Um, I was kind of on the, the forefront of those things, you know, but yeah, so that's when I started. That's how I kind of came through. And then obviously mentorship came about in about 2000, like end of 2017, I think 2018, maybe. So like four, four to five years ago, give or take maybe six years ago. And that was, Hey, will you teach me? I'll pay you. Like, okay. Sure. <laughs> right. So that's where that kind of started to develop. And uh, I turned that into an additional service because of course that caught on and I just announced it and I advertised it. And now that's, a, it's a huge thing, obviously. So that's where we're at. <laughs> Very organic. <laughs> that's right. Very awesome That's right. to, to see that growth, to kind of go from like a state of like pretty much Ricky Bobby, where you're just in the backseat of the car with the blindfold on trying to figure out how to do <laughs> online fucking coaching. And now you're like <laughs> winning the Daytona 500 essentially is what it is, what it yeah. comes down to. That, but, but that's, that's, that version doesn't really go into the fact that like I was scared and broke a lot and cried mm -hmm. a lot and was fucking mm -hmm. about to fill out applications and go places and like not knowing what I'm doing. Can I do this? No one trusts me. All my ideas are stupid because they're different than everyone else. Like there's, I'm giving you a really heartfelt version. I'm not giving you all the dark darkness yeah. that has come along with that. But anyhow. Yeah. I have a question. Where does, where did Jerica enter this situation? Like, have you guys always been like, were you this, like a high school sweetheart? Like how long have you guys been together? And when did she kind of come onto the scene? Cause I assume her love and support was integral in 
creating, you know, your, your brand and creating kind of like this online community that you've essentially led because of just who you are and your morals and your ethics and your values. But yeah, where does Jerica fit? Well, I would say that I'll say this about everyone really is that I got one of two things and this, this would go for anyone in my circle. Okay. Which was very small friends, family, otherwise it was either like, yes, go for it. You're very driven. You've always been very driven or outside perspective. This is stupid. This is not a thing. Don't do it. And it really went one of one of two ways with anyone, you know, um, they were either kind of like all in encouragement, you know, encouragement or just nothing. Right. And that's kind of been, and now it's not so much like that because it's, it's kind of like bodybuilding with, you know, when you first start bodybuilding or first start like getting really into fitness and no one around you understands it. And then eventually they stop bugging you about it. Hopefully. Yes. It's kind of like that. And now those same people are like, holy cow, this is a huge, you know, you, you've built this empire or whatever you want to call it, this business around it. Um, and that's, that's kind of where my family fell into that. Uh, they're like, Hey, we trust you. I don't know what it is, but keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. That's incredible. Yeah. Ash, why don't you ask the first question? Cause again, like it's just awesome to me. Just my coach, just my mentor. But yeah, why don't you start us off and start asking all the juicy questions about essentially contest prep and eventually we'll get into peaking and learn all the secrets. Oh, yeah, give you all the secrets. We love secrets. <laughs> secrets are great. We're going to expose them all. So we'll just start with like the basics. So like, you know, how do you set up an athlete for like a successful contest prep? Uh, great question. So all the setup boils down to all of those functional health items that we preach on so much, you know, our, our whole battle is the getting the body to a position where it can respond. And I'm always, I always tell people coaching is like chess, not checkers. Right. So I'm always a few steps ahead. I, I want to be a few steps ahead when I'm making decisions with somebody, you know, so they, and they don't, clients don't always know that. I mean, I try to, I try to voice that, but they don't always really know to the full extent of like how many steps ahead that I'm trying to think when I'm programming stuff and prep is very much like that because prep gives us uh, preps a kind of an extreme goal. Obviously it's, and we have timelines, like it's a little bit more, it's a little bit different than like, Hey, we're going to get your, your menstrual cycle back or do this, like whenever it happens, you know, it's a little more finite. So um, I want, I want a few things to happen with this person. Ideally, I would want them to be my client beforehand, and I would like them to experience, I would like them to experience both a deficit and a surplus phase for themselves, mm -hmm. right? If they've never prepped before, for example, like if they're newer, maybe they've done one show, was not very successful, or they've never done a show, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. I would like them to feel both of those things from physiological standpoint and an emotional standpoint, like a little diet. Little debt or little surplus, kind of see how they do, see how their body responds, and then we and then we're in a better position. So that's one thing I think is super important. And then next thing is learning their back history a little bit. You know, in terms of we're obviously doing labs, we're looking at all these things, but a lot of us know that have seen a lot of these functional cases and a lot of these clients is labs don't even sometimes they look okay, but the client still doesn't respond right mm -hmm. and 
what what I have speculated, and I've talked about this before, and this I actually talked about this a little bit at the uh, the PEC and my methylation as like a little smidge of it, and that is epigenetics. So essentially, these mechanisms that turn on and off when we adapt. So like for example, if we start dieting, our thyroid conversion slows down, right? Our uh, female's progesterone drops or a male's testosterone drops, right? So all these adaptations are 100% normal, but how quickly are they happening, right? Is it like three weeks into the prep and the body's already just shutting down on us, right? Or are we able to get through most of it and the adaptations are really only coming at the end? That would be ideal, obviously. So I want to know, and the reason I want to know their back history is because I want to know from from that epigenetic standpoint, what have they been exposed to over a period of time? So like, hey, I prepped for five shows. I'm like, okay, have you prepped for five shows in three years or have you prepped for five shows in 10 years, right? <laughs> and that tells me a lot. And, and, and when was the last one? Like when did the last prep end, for example? It's like those, that accumulation of exposure to stress over that period of time will tell me a lot, right? Now, next thing would be, um, you know, obviously females, we have some markers like menstrual cycles, things like that, assuming they're not on like hormone replacement or anything. We can look at um, males, same thing, hormone profiles, like all that's obviously gonna be important. I wanna see another thing. Are they stable <laughs> emotionally and mentally? Are they are they doing the things that they should be doing? Because I always tell people, transitioning to prep should literally not change your life hardly at all, right? Mm -hmm. If you're doing this most of the time. So for example, you know, if someone's coming in and doing nothing, they have no routine, they have no, you know, they're kind of willy-nilly with their tracking, they're not really doing things they should be doing. Why on earth would I want to throw them into some extreme restrictive situation where, they're probably going to develop a lot of bad habits and maybe just implode altogether, right? So if you already have a good sleep routine and you're already kind of tracking at least decently and you already are going, you know, your training's consistent, going into prep, the only thing that changes is you eat a different amount of food or in, yep. and change your activity a little bit. It's so easy. Like people are like, I'm in prep. Okay, so what, Right. Right. It should be no. like a seamless transition. It's yeah. Just, right. You should feel nothing. You, you should, you should feel, I, I laugh when I don't laugh, but I more so cringe when they're like two weeks in, Oh man, like you're not feeling jack <laughs> shit. That is literally <laughs> all in your head. It's yeah. nothing. I would like to say that I would dieted under you a, a, a lifestyle, like mini cut health phase, whatever, since I think August and we lost 30 pounds and you had to make, I want to say six, seven tweaks at the most. And I still got stronger in the gym. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and you were, you were actually just telling me this morning that like, it doesn't feel like you are like in a huge oh. deficit. You're not starving. Like right. these are your life habits that you've been doing and your body is just right. responding like seamless. Right. And eventually, like, obviously, eventually there's a point if you get lean enough that you might start noticing you drag and you're doing that. And it depends on your yeah. division too. Like a, mm -hmm. a male bodybuilder getting like, stride glutes is really tough you know what I sure. mean like depending on who you are right some people it's not hard but for the majority of people it is difficult mm -hmm. um so it really does depend but yeah you're 100 right it shouldn't until maybe the backside of it when you're really lean 
mm-hmm. life goes on. It's not, it's not any different. So that's, that's probably the, the, the last piece I would say, as far as just getting ready for prep. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. That's great. My question is when it comes to setting up that deficit, how do you start up that initial deficit? Like how many calories do you pull? How do you decide between toggling, pulling food and increasing expenditure? Or do you tend to do a little bit of both? Or do you also look at client preference? Like, because obviously there are so many different things that you could do. And I know it's a, it depends, but what do you typically lean toward? Yeah, so there's, there's a, I can give a decent answer to this because there, there's kind of a system. It's not, it's not like X amount of calories, but always think of, we'll start with the first piece. So when you're talking about creating a deficit, think of it as more of a percentage and less of a number. So for example, mm-hmm. maintenance calories are always a window. So like if I, hypothetically, if I took, if I'm eating, I don't know, 5,000 calories as a male, like high off season food, and I took a hundred calories away, probably jack shit's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, if I took 200 calories away, probably still jack shit's going to happen. However, mm-hmm. if I took 200 calories away from a smaller female that's topped out at 2,100 calories, that might elicit some effect, right? Mm-hmm. Because her maintenance, and this is genetic, and there's a lot of factors, but of course, like her maintenance window is probably a little bit smaller than mine, right? So think of it as more of a percentage off the top of their calories. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's 10 10 to 15% or something like that. Maybe it's mm-hmm. probably not 20, maybe 20 in some people, but you know, if I'm pulling 10% off of 5,000, that's 500 drop, right? Yeah. Or that's a hundred or that's 200 calories off of 2000. So, you know, I would say, think of it in probably in that 10 to 15% range is kind of appropriate for most people. I kind of, I, I would like to lean towards like a little bit more at the beginning off mm-hmm. of the pool. So I'm not just like chasing the, that maintenance window around in the circle for four weeks, right? Yeah. Um, and then your second question in terms of like what to pull, client preference is important. I think that's an important yeah. factor for sure. I would like to consider that um, practicality, you know, like schedule wise, like what's like what's practical because that's a stress component, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, and that, and that gets more and more critical as prep goes on, of course, Sometimes you just got to do low food and high calorie, like cardio. That's just the reality for some people. So, mm-hmm. but in, in an ideal world, I'm going to make, I'm going to set it up in the most practical way that I can based on their, you know, schedule and their preference, right? The second piece of that would be um, like, which resource do we have to work with the most? Is if they have really high activity already, maybe their job, perhaps like their need levels are really high. I'm probably not going to add cardio. I'm probably going to leverage food more first, right? Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. If they're really sedentary, you know, then maybe activity is a super easy place for us to start. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of the same as reverse dieting, like reverse dieting, like, well, what's like, well, which, what do I do first? Do I add, do I add food? Do I pull cardio? Do I do both? I'm like, well, what's, which piece is probably stressing their body out the most at this point? Yeah. start adjusting that piece first. So deficit, same way. Um, it can go both ways. Those are probably the main factors though. 
Nice. Yeah. So but like, when would you start like deploying like fat burners then, uh, you know, and like, what would be those dosages? How do you adjust those? And, you know, mm-hmm. do you bring them in right off the start from prep or do you kind of go when you hit, let's per se, like a plateau? What is your thoughts on those? So I've changed this a little bit over the years. Uh, but one thing about fat loss supplements and like supplementation in general is always understanding like the the u-shaped curve of returns versus being too much too much systemic stress so for example 160 micrograms of clenbuterol raises your bmr more than 60 micrograms clenbuterol right duh obviously but what other effects does that 160 milligrams you know micrograms have on your sleep, on your nervous system, um, on your mood. Okay. That's the question. That's the question I'm asking is I want to get, I want to utilize the tools we have to the best of my ability without creating more systemic stress than we need to. So as far as deployment goes, I would say that I like to phase them in a lot of the time. So like add one thing at a time as a tool, right? In an ideal world, if I could get someone down close to that single digit weeks out before I start adding fat fat loss, you know, maybe that 10 or under, that's that's a good situation because we can we can just ride them all the way into the show. It, are there times where I have to put them in earlier? Sure. But I'm going to probably put them in at a lower dose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to do that anyhow. So looking like mechanistically, we have really a few mechanisms we could choose from that most people are going to utilize so we have we have beta drugs that are acting on beta receptors so that's clenbuterol normally um alpha receptors that's your hembine hdl right mm-hmm. and then we have free fatty acid mobilizations that's gh right um if you don't that's not really a, a fat it doesn't raise your metabolism really but right or your bmr but we have that um and then we have like transport agents like carnitine will help with transport, but it's not really a, it's not expending calories really. Um, yeah. And then of course there's like uncouplers, there's like DNP and stuff, but you know, I don't, I'm, we're not probably gonna talk about that on here. So yes, <laughs> I'm not going to encourage that. So um, with that, our two main mechanisms are really are really probably yohimbine, clenbuterol, or if they don't have that option, if they're like if or if they're in a you know drug test federations, it's like um cinephrine or cinephrine, however you want to say it, like that's a beta, or ephedrine was the one used to be the one that's a beta, right? But again, if we get that 10, if we can get around that 10 to 12 week out mark before we start deploying these, that's a really good scenario. Yohimbine, very simple. People mess this up, this one up a lot, but it's really easy to use and that it should be used in a baseline insulin state. So fasted mm-hmm. is easiest. Mm-hmm. Now, dosing, unless you're getting really anxious on it and it, because it does make some people pretty anxious, then I normally say about one milligram per 10 pounds of lean body mass is about the top dose. So like if, if I'm 200 pounds, like really lean, that's 20 milligrams for me Mm -hmm. one dose all at once morning do some type of do some type of 
glucose, you know, non-glucose intensive activity. So like walking, right? Something like that and call it a day done with that. You can, if you want to get tricky, like you can use like theanine in there as a, for that gabinergic effect to like kind of calm it and smooth it out. Like some people like to do that. Um, some will say the alpha yohimbine, the other version of it is a little bit smoother. Like Morphogen uses the alpha version and some of their products. So, but that's kind of yohimbine in a nutshell. Um, so butyrol doesn't matter. It's take it in the morning because it's, it's super long half-life. So the problem yeah. with that is that you can pretty much go up until it starts affecting your sleep and you should stop at that dose because you're not you're not half-lifing and ridding yourself of enough of it before you're going to bed. It's impacting sleep. For most people, that's probably really only about 60, about 40 to 60 micrograms. Uh, you're going to get such a minimal benefit by going up more versus what it's going to do to your sleep that I just, you know, probably not worth it. As far as the free fatty acid mobilization goes, uh, with, with GH, I mean, there's not perfect research on this, but the research kind of shows around two units is about, it's probably going to give you about maximal free fatty acid mobilization in one go, right? Yeah. For women, it might even be less. It might only be about one unit. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, fasted state, it'll mobilize fatty acids. Do your, do your non-glucose intensive activity. So steady state cardio, right? Low, low to maybe medium intensity, and then call it a day. It takes a couple, two, three hours to fully mobilize, stay fasted. I think a lot of people like doing that anyhow, you know, prep, kind of stay fasted for a few hours in the morning, get mm -hmm. some shit done. Be Prolong clear, your food. You know? Oh, for <laughs> sure. Prolong the food for the day. So, yeah. but those are the main mechanisms. Um, and you could yeah. use the GH part, you could use throughout the whole prep, really, if you wanted um if they have you know if they're not in a tested federation or whatever mm -hmm. right on right on so kind of speeding along to peak week like kind of walk us through the different approaches like obviously you have front loading back loading you can modify those but how do you decide what's best for the athlete and kind of how do you go about doing that i know that's a very loaded question but sure. i think it's something worth talking about yeah i, I know that you I thought you were going to maybe ask about refeeding or something too. So I'm going to tie that all together yeah, in yeah, one yeah, because yeah. front load. So essentially front loading is just loading your glycogen and, you know, fatty acids if you need them early in the week, right? Mm -hmm. Monday, Tuesday, maybe right, I don't right. know, somewhere in there. Um, whereas backloading is, as the name implies, you're, loading on the back side of the week normally yeah, their yeah. traditional rapid backload is the day before the show it's you know pretty heavy loading one day in and out type of thing yeah now as far as how and how you would decide if you have the luxury of testing it in the prep that's always great a lot of people don't right a lot of people just don't have the time if you do that's that's wonderful but you know again it's not always an option. Refeeding is a great way to know, at least from a timing standpoint. You know, I think as you get later in the prep, you know, when you start getting around that four week out, five, six week out mark, you should start because now the person's lean enough. 
to get to visually see it. If you're further out, you can make speculation, but you're probably not lean enough to really form your, you know, a good opinion. But now you're lean enough. So now I can see, hey, we did a refeed on Saturday and Sunday, but your best look is on Tuesday, not Monday, right? Your best look is two days after the refeed versus one day after. Okay, that tells me something. That tells me, hey, maybe I should leave a day, like a Friday before the Saturday show to just clean things up or allow myself that wiggle room in there, right? Hey, the person looks really good after day one of the refeed next day. I'm like, mm, maybe I should consider a, a rapid backload, you know, the day before the show, right? Or this person looks really kind of spilled and puffy, really full, but spilled and puffy for like a few days after. And they look their best at the end of the week. I'm like, all right, well, maybe we should front load them, right? So, but the other question there too is the amount. So are they looking puffy on two, two or three days after because you gave them way too big of a refeed <laughs> you know and you can kind of you can kind of figure that out by body weight body weight is an indicator there to an to an extent because of course when you put glycogen and water into the equation then you're seeing all right well you know weight gain but how is that weight coming back off like i can tell you can normally tell if a refeed is too big by like, well, they gained five pounds. That would be quite a bit, but they gained five pounds and they only lost three pounds before the next week when we would normally refeed again. Maybe the refeed was too big, right? Yeah. Or maybe you need more time in between the refeed perhaps, but you know, the, there are formulas, like there, there are some like numbers that would tell you like, Hey, this is how much you could hypothetical glycogen you could put in someone of this size but the problem is like activity level metabolism so on and so forth so those things all come into play but yeah for refeeding is a good way to at least gauge what time of week you may want to load somebody um and then from there the next thing to consider would be the other things that are changing during the week so on peak week we're reducing activity generally, right? Mm -hmm. And by Friday, probably all they're really doing is like going to check in, getting yeah. their getting their number, weighing, heighted, or whatever, and then maybe getting a tan, like a coat of tan on or something. They're kind of chilling, right? Mm -hmm. They should be, hopefully. Hopefully they're not <laughs> doing more than they're supposed to be. But their activity is going to be way lower at that point. So we have to consider that. But yeah, this is where things like visually just looking after the refeeds and, and stuff and figuring out what their look is. And then, I mean, there's a lot of, there's, you know, how complex you want to make it. I mean, there's other factors like what is the best look for this person based on their division? So like are if they're bikini, for example, and they're pretty, they're kind of big for the class, maybe I want to leave them a little flat. Mm-hmm and just tighter, right? And because maybe that's what's gonna probably look best or maybe they're like a male bodybuilder and they are 10 pounds under their weight cap. They're a little small, but they're really lean. Even if I fill them to the brim and make them really full, it's probably not gonna be enough for them to like compete with the other guys size-wise. So what do we wanna do? Air on the side of tightness like that's our game right there right like our game is 
is being tighter than them. So you got to understand like based on their division and based on their body and the level of show, like what is going to be the best, best package for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, most people, if they're in good condition, a lot of people like 90% full and hundred percent, you know, crisp is a better look than spilled over and, um, you know, like puffy. Yeah. So that day at that like gym look on like Monday and Tuesday, when you go to the gym after you ate like shit all weekend, <laughs> when you look like super cool in a t-shirt and tank top, but if you really posed and compare the picture, like, I hate when people say this, I'm like, no, you don't look better. You are more vascular and you've got, but you've got like three layers of water on you and you would, okay. you would look way worse than you did on stage. Oh yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Like, that's not the same. <laughs> No, but people, yeah, people always say that shit. They're like, oh yeah, after I like crap all weekend, like I look so much better and posting everything on the fucking gram, right? So another peak week question for you, do you manipulate like sodium and water and how so do you, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, controversy about this, like cutting out water and sodium or water loading at the beginning of the week and then, you know, ending it a day or two out. Um, so what is your thought process? What do you implement with your athletes and even like yourself? Cause you coach yourself too. Yeah. There's, if you haven't peaked many people don't fuck with it. Mm -hmm. It's a good rule of thumb. And I think one of the questions you guys want to ask was like things that change with peaking over the years. Yeah. One of them is I do mess with it a little more now than I used to, because I've just done it enough times. <laughs> yeah. But I, what you're doing is you're taking you're taking your risk and reward ratio is like you might get 20% reward for 80% risk if you start or maybe it's 90 10 right mm -hmm. when you start messing with stuff a lot so the basics of this is just understanding some really basic things like when you add when you have glucose we need sodium Mm -hmm. for glucose transport these things are dependent upon one another okay the co-transporters that basically take glucose well we need sodium to do it now so like big no-nos would be doing a rapid like let me give you an example like doing a rapid backload on friday and cutting out your salt like mm -hmm. that would be a really bad idea because that glucose is not going to do what you want it to do at that point same thing with water we need water with our glucose right so same thing probably shouldn't try to load and also cut out a you know cut out a water source now in a in a easy real easy scenario we pretty much just know what the person's electrolyte intake is prior to peak week i think that is important i think it to at least know you don't have to know down to the milligram, but at least have a rough idea and consistency. So some easy, easy, like things that you can fix that a lot of people, mistakes people make, like they're a macro client. Macro clients eat the same foods for at least like the last couple of weeks for the show. Don't change anything, right? That's a real simple one. That's going to eliminate any up and down of your electrolytes, essentially outside of maybe like flavored drinks a little bit, right? If they're drinking like diet drinks, pretty easy thing. You can, you can kind of avoid some issues that way. Um, second thing is like understanding basic ratios. So 
you probably shouldn't have four times the sodium that you do potassium in your loading, for example. A lot of people probably will fall around one to one up and down a little bit. That's that's a safe ratio for most people, right? If you, like I said, if you want to get real fancy with it, you can manipulate it more, but that's probably a safe ratio for most people. So one thing to remember is like when you load carbohydrates, rice-based carbohydrates don't have many electrolytes, right? They don't have much of anything in them. Rice cakes, even like some cereals, they don't really have a lot. They might have some sodium. Um, rice, obviously. Now, potatoes, on the other hand, very high in potassium. Mm -hmm. So you hammer in a bunch of potatoes or you're like rotate, you know, you're doing like rice and potatoes. You might've just jacked your potassium up a couple thousand milligrams on that day that you haven't been having and thrown that ratio way off. So again, keep shit the same. And mm -hmm. when you're loading, like for my last show, I literally... I was tracking electrolytes, but I also just loaded on like sources that had no elect, almost no electrolytes, like very minimal. That way, if I wanted to manipulate it, I didn't have to like calculate all the shit. It was like plain rice cakes, call it a day, done. And because they only they have you know five or ten milligrams of sodium in, in the low low sodium ones, nothing, right? No potassium, hardly at all. Um, stay consistent. Um, Food-wise, I like people to just kind of peak on maybe the same one to two meals if they're loading. Just like we have one or two meals, just keep rotating them through the day. Keep it the same. Digestion's easier to track. Um, we know what food sources they're doing good with. Electrolytes are the same. So a lot of it, I think, is just for a coach, until you get really comfortable with it, just simplifying that process for the client. Because... Um, as long as you're doing that and you in your mind have a consistent baseline of these electrolytes and, and keep like water, even if you just kept water elevated, it doesn't have to be two gallons. Everyone's like, that's their benchmark. But if your pee is pretty light, you're probably hydrated, you know, and you keep it constant. If you want to get a little drier, cut it out like the night before the show and sip on, sip on some water in the morning of the show. Um, peaking would be like, it's all probably its whole own podcast, but um, that you don't have to manipulate that a whole lot and keep the process easy for your client. Because the last thing we want to do, if you really want to make a client look bad, is like stress them out a lot the <laughs> yeah. day before the show. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, those are some really easy, basic things without getting too far into the weeds. Right. Right. Yeah. So kind of final question while we wrap things up, you've been coaching for a hot ass minute. And these are, this is Ashley's question. So hot ass minute you've been coaching. What are some things that you've changed in your peaking process over the years? And are there things you would never do again? Um, like, is there some shit that you look back on and you're like, yeah, fuck that. Like that did not work. I would never deploy it again. It's for, not happening. So for peaking specifically, yeah, we can or keep it. Or yeah. Peaking and yeah, okay. Yeah, well, for sure. So things I would that I do differently that I used to do that probably didn't work as well is water on the day of the show. I've changed my mind on that a little bit. I used to 
withhold it a little bit more, never to an extreme. I was never like the cut water out three days out kind of guy. Um, I probably leave it in a little bit more now with people. The other thing is, this might sound surprising. The other thing is like actually not using as much sodium with some people. Now, because I was always, you know, a lot of the, like, especially around when like uh, if it fits your macros became super popular. There's a lot of people in in and rapid backloading and stuff. There's a lot of people talking about these massive amounts of carbs and like all of this sodium and all this water. They're getting real vascular, mm -hmm. right? And um, not a lot of people need that. Okay, yeah. and I use sodium, and obviously I'm not cutting it out, but it's just kind of the same thing with food. I'm like wow, not a lot of people need 1200 grams of carbs to get yeah. full enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like not a lot of people need 800 grams of carbs or 600 grams of carbs even. Right. And could I give a female five, 600 grams of carbs? And if she's super, super, super depleted, yes. But do I need her to be bursting full or do I need her to be like medium full? <laughs> Mm -hmm. and crisp and dry so understanding that piece of it and and not giving people too much food was something that I probably changed a little bit um the can and also like the simplicity of it I just I over the years I have just I've always am just like simplify 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 everything as much as I can and so I think I have a I think I can peak people and just, just trying to make, just trying to make the process easy for them and seamless mm -hmm. for them and keep people calm. I think one of your jobs as a coach, when you're peaking people is just keeping them chill. Mm -hmm. Keep them chill. I'm like, Hey, go watch cartoons in your room. Like go, go chill out. Like it's not, it's not a big deal. Like it's, you're done. It's over. Just chill out, relax, have fun. You know? Um, so simplifying, like simplifying that process, is something I've gotten better at over the years, like knowing how to play into the mindset with, with the clients, anyone that's worked with me for mentorship knows that I try to simplify stuff as much as I can. Anyone that's worked with me for coaching, same thing. They know that I try to, I don't unnecessarily, here's one thing I'll never do. I will never unnecessarily complicate things just to sell something. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cause people do it all day long. They're like, check out how cool I sound. I'm like, cool. But what does that do? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's exactly. a, yeah, that's a big piece for sure. Absolutely. Now we'll have to come, uh, have you come back on to really like go in depth about peaking, but we do really appreciate your time and you just coming on to educate us, educate our listeners and do it in a way that's ethical and up to your standards of care, because I can speak from experience as not only your mentee that I've been with you for almost two years, but also in May, I'll be a year as your client, like as your athlete. And it has been nothing but ease. Like, I'm not saying like I didn't have hard days, but it has been easy and it has been fun. And my quality of life has improved tenfold because I'm just genuinely happier because I get to do other things with my time. And just the, the amount of progression that I have seen is because my stress is lower because I'm a person and I'm happy. And like, that just yeah. proves and speaks volumes to you as a person and your character and who you are as a leader in this industry. And obviously, thank you. Just thank you. <laughs>
yeah, understanding how to work with a human being is, uh, that's the piece that most people just can't quite get a hold of, yep. you know, for sure. Absolutely. Take some psychology classes or something. I did. Learn, I did. It is made learn like psychology. <laughs> exactly. No, seriously. Like that was one of the best investments I ever did is I took a course on Coursera about fostering intrinsic motivation. And that has made me one of the best coaches that I could ever be on top of working with you because like that client psychology is huge, huge. Massive for sure. Agreed. It's the freaking driver. It really is. Like if you can't get there with your, with your mind, your body never will. Exactly. Exactly. But again, yeah, you can, you can know, I mean, you can know the ins and outs of every cellular mechanism of every intricacy. I mean, anything you want to know, you can learn it, but if you can't work Mm -hmm. with a human you know, I can teach, I can teach a SIBO protocol to like a junior high student if he could memorize it, right? He could probably memorize it, but Mm -hmm. you know, they don't have, they also don't have any life skills to work with an adult that has, you know, three jobs and a kid and all this other shit going on. Like this is where, this is where coaches just fall so short. Exactly. Exactly. Well, again, awesome. Thank you so much for your time, guys. We will catch you next week, but until then, peace. Adios.